0: Now we're going to be thinking today about our futures, and I dare say that we're actually people who are always curious about what the future will hold, even from an early age. Now uh, this took me a few hours to make beforehand, but who here knows what one of these are? This is what life planning is like when you're a five-year-old child, right? You sit there and you're like, who are we going to marry? Who's going to be my life partner for the next 50, 60 years? Pick a colour, pick a colour, what will it be? Blue. blue, blue, okay, B-L-U-E, okay, pick a number, Two, seven, six, or 3, seven. 7, 7, who's it going to be? Who's going to be my life partner? It's Juliana, there you go. We're all curious about our futures even from an early age. Uh, on the weekend we hung out with some dear friends and as we were leaving, the 10-year-old daughter rushed up to me and was like, Kevin, Kevin, I have to show you something. And we're like, what can be so urgent? And it was a picture of her when she's 37 with her four kids, Jade, Nathaniel, Amy, and Liam. (laughs) I mean, she's 10. She can't even... We're all curious about our futures, even from an early age. But the thing is, that doesn't change when we grow older. Except now, we have real stakes in the game. We make decisions and we hope they go to plan. Uh, I heard now that some unis provide online quizzes that test your personality. At the end, it spits out career options based on how you're wired. And I know people who do it because you don't want to get it wrong. You want to know what the future holds. But here's the thing. Life is just so uncertain. How do we know what the future holds? Who here five years ago knew that you were going to be studying at ANU in, in Canberra? Put your hands up. Five years ago, there's a few fifth, sixth year students, <laughs> your, which actually is a bit worrying. If you're in first year, anyways, let's not go there. <laughs> but that kind of illustrates, right? Even five years ago, you had no idea that you were going to be here. So how on earth do you know what the next five years looks like? Let alone ten years, twenty years, thirty years? And so the question we're wrestling with this afternoon is this. What are God's plans for my life? How do we know what he has in store for us? And how can we make sure we don't miss that boat? However, what we're going to do this afternoon is that we're actually going to tackle this question from a slightly different angle. That is, we're going to have a different approach. We're not actually going to start with us. I'm not going to start with us as a sun around which all the planets revolve. I'm actually going to start with God, for he is the center around which we orbit. And so the first question I want to tackle rather is this. It's actually rather than God's plan for me, is what are God's plans for the world? Because if God has a plan for the entire cosmos, then whatever we hope for in our lives needs to align with his plans. And so we're going to be starting our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, we'll be looking at this for the rest of the semester. If you have a look in your outlines, just look at the first few sentences. They're usually really important in the Bible. We're often tempted to skip over them. Uh, but they are important. They give us the context. It's kind of like the scrolling text at the beginning of a Star Wars movie. Okay? It just brings you up to speed. And so have a look. Uh, the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. He's a follower of Jesus in the first century. It's to Christians it's to the saints and the faithful. It's in the town of Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey, was possibly a letter to those in the region. And so it's a letter written in history. It's to certain people in a certain place and in a certain time. And this afternoon, we'll be delving into what Paul is saying to them, but also thinking about what he's saying to us in light of that. And we're actually going to be looking at one of the richest parts of scripture this afternoon. Because from the outset, in chapter 1, Paul wants to blow our minds with how big God's plans for the universe really are. And he starts off by saying that God has plans for the whole universe, and that these plans center on the person of Jesus. God's plans center on the person of Jesus. So let's go through this together. Look at verses 3 to 10. We start reading the book with blessings that we have but just notice whenever paul speaks of the blessings we have it's always tied to jesus verse three we are blessed in christ verse four we are chosen in him that is jesus verse five we are adopted as sons through jesus verse six he has blessed us in the beloved jesus that is whatever god has in store for us it's actually tied to jesus And this climaxes in verses 9 to 10. So have a look on your outline. God, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That is God's plan, his will, his purpose, is to bring Everything under the feet of Jesus, the one he loves. You see, he has a plan. The world is heading somewhere, and it's all things in submission to Jesus. Which actually means that we're not random particles that came into being with no creator and no purpose. Which, as a side point, only actually leads to despair. Because when there's no hope and when there's no purpose we're actually struck with the meaninglessness of life. And so what I've noticed in people is that they go two ways. They find the meaninglessness of life despairing, or they swing the other way and go after the pursuit of pleasure. But I've just met so many people to know that that way of living is like putting a band-aid over a deep wound. And the meaninglessness of life gets us in the end. Paul says that is not the case. There is a purpose, for God has a purpose. There is a beginning of the world, a creator, and there will be an endpoint, realized in Jesus. And the end point isn't human progress. It's not survival of the fittest, such that humans will keep evolving and progressing and getting better and better and better. You see, that's a danger of the COVID-19 vaccines, is it not? I mean, don't get me wrong, in a way, it's such a blessing that we have the opportunity to have vaccinations against this virus. But what was last year like? Last year was about the fragility of humanity. It was the fact that this tiny virus could wreak such havoc in the whole world, and as humans, we could do nothing about it. What's this year about? It's the triumph of humanity in in technology and innovation. Bill Gates says that this year we've made more, more progress in vaccination technology than in 12 years combined, just in one year. Human progress, technological innovation, for many that is the end goal. God's plan is not the continual evolution of humanity to be, to be better. Uh, the end point is not the end to class struggles. Uh, it's not the abolition of structures that maintain power in the world here and now. In fact, where the world is heading is actually a major power imbalance. It's actually Jesus, God's Son, King over all things, all for the praise and glory of Him. Do you see that? It's a cosmic vision of where the world is headed. And we are included in those plans. We also have God's plans for us. God's plans for us. Have a look, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. And these blessings are outlined in the following verses. Uh, If verses 9 to 10 speak of the end of the world, then verse 4 speaks of the very beginning. Before time, before God spoke and the world came into being, he had us in mind. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he predestined us as adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And note, it's predestined. He chooses us. It's not a sense that God has foreknowledge, that he sees who will and won't believe in him. It's actually that if he is in control of the whole world, if he's in control of the entire destiny of the cosmos, he's actually in control of who will be his. The world doesn't revolve around us, as if God's plans of who will be his people and who aren't is contingent on you and me. I suspect in many ways our picture of God is too small. We have here a picture that nothing is outside God's sovereignty, not even our hearts, not even our minds. And in the Bible, we see here God chooses us. He predestines us. Uh, It's his choosing of us. Yet at the same time, uh, we're still responsible for our actions here. It's actually side by side in the Bible. He chooses us and blesses us, yet we're also responsible for the things that we do. And in the world of philosophy, it's called compatibilism. And so just as a side point, just let me illustrate. Go to chapter 2, verse 10. Just have a quick flick over if you have your Bibles in front of you. It says there, in chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is, we walk in those good works. We actually do them. We have agency. Yet even our good works have been preordained by God that we should do them. That is, he's sovereign over all things, yet we're still responsible for what we do, side by side. But what it means here for us is that nothing, absolutely nothing, is outside of God's plans and purposes. His plans for Jesus and his plan for, plans for us. And in many ways, it's actually a blessing that he chooses us. Because in our natural state, none of us deserve to be loved by God. Uh, someone on the weekend told me that Canberra is the most godless place she's ever lived in. More than Sydney. Actually, oh, yeah, anyways. More than Sydney. More than Hong Kong. And it's not just society, is it? It's actually our hearts. For in, in deep down in, in, all, in all of us, none of us actually obey our Creator. Yet He chooses us out of nothing that is inherently good in us to be adopted as sons, adopted as sons. Uh, Our friends currently have Iranian refugees staying with them. Uh, It's generosity, uh, incredible generosity actually. They've got two kids and they've welcomed a stranger into their home, but in many ways they are guests. They come for a time, they're part of the household, they sit around the dinner table, but they will leave. But the picture here of adoption is so much deeper. It's that you're an outsider who is brought in. You're actually equal in the family. You actually inherit parents. And that's what happens here with us and with God. Verse 3, God is our father. Verse 11, we have an inheritance. We have every spiritual blessing because we're now part of the family. You see, God's plans for us aren't what we expect. It's not whether we marry Shirley or Jenny or Juliana. Uh, It's not about whether we become a public servant or whether we become another type of public servant, potentially. (laughs) It's actually far bigger, his plans. It's actually that we're adopted as sons of God. And it's because his plans for us flow out of his plans for the world in Jesus. Note again in verse 6. Notice how Jesus is described. Just have a look verse 6. It's actually the choice of word here. We've had Jesus. We've had Lord. We've had Christ. But here is the beloved. It's the same word that God used of Jesus at his baptism when God declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That is, Jesus is the object of God's love. So much so that God's plans are to put everything underneath his feet. And our blessings are caught up in this. Remember, our blessings are tied to Jesus, they are in him. And God's love for his son is like this waterfall that just never stops flowing, such that that love overwhelmingly overflows to us. He lavishly loves us because we're actually caught up in the love between him and Jesus, such that we're also called sons, and we have the blessings of being part of the family. It's possible because of verse 7, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. See, even though we, we reject our creator, even though we deserve punishment, Jesus dies for us. It's a death that we deserve, but he takes that for us, such that we are redeemed people. We're brought from people who should be slaves to sin to people who belong to God. We're actually forgiven. And verse 8, it's a lavish love here, such that as God brings all things under the feet of Jesus, it actually includes us as God's people who are saved and who belong to God. God's plans centre on Jesus and his love for Jesus overflows to us. Such that God's plans for us to unite, is to unite us to Jesus as all things in heaven and on earth are united under him. Which is actually quite an extraordinary love, isn't it? Because what does society tell us love is? Society says that love is Love is love, right? Love is love is love is love. What does that exactly mean? You see, we live in a world where authenticity is key. Love is being true to who we are. We actually express our desires to the other such that no matter who the other person is, love is self evident, it's self expression, it's expressing who I am and how I feel. But if that's the case, it actually means that the foundations of love are actually quite shaky. Because where are the origins of love? It's actually in me. And if we live in a world of authenticity, if love wanes in us, it actually means that love stops. Because you must be true to who you are. Love here never stops. Because it's actually outside of us. It's actually placed in the relationship between God and his son for all eternity. Such that as long as God loves his son Jesus, he will love us. And there is nothing that is more secure than that. And indeed, that is actually something that you can be part of. Uh, If you're someone here who doesn't follow Jesus, God actually gives you a chance for forgiveness. He actually gives you a chance to have all these spiritual blessings in him and be part of the family. And so it's worth thinking, will you actually ask God to forgive you and follow him? Because as you do that, he so loves us that he will do that. You see, God will bring all things in submission underneath him. Everyone will bow the knee. Whether that's a willing bowing or an unwilling bowing, everyone will do so. But he extends his invitation to you to be his child such that if you want to be part of the family, you'll be in submission to him willingly with all the spiritual blessings in Jesus. Such a wonderful opportunity. If that's you, can you take that up today? Just write something on your comment slip. Um, I want to investigate more. I want to be part of the family. I want to follow Jesus. We'd love to actually talk to you about what that means. So if you're here today and you want to think about that further, please actually put something down so we can come and talk to you. But what are God's plans for my life? Life here in the here and now is uncertain. Uh, I can't tell you what life would look like in 10 years' time. But my hope is that you've had your eyes lifted to actually see God's plans for the world such that we can actually take comfort that his plans are actually sure. The life here now is fleeting. Uh, you know, Dan is 21 right now. Uh, he is thinking about, you know, doing commerce in the future, right? And you all have your different ambitions and your different goals. But you actually don't know what that would look like. And life just never works out the way you want it to, to be, But we know that even though things are fleeting in this world and things are uncertain, the big things, being God's child, forgiveness, redemption, they've been preordained before time and nothing can take that away. We have his plans and his purposes that are sure for us. And so let me finish with some implications It's actually our last point. Uh, It's Paul's prayer from verses 15 to 23. In light of God's glorious plans, what does Paul pray? Uh, It's not that we become better people. It's not that we spend more time reading the Bible, but have a look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. What does he pray now that he has seen God's glorious plans, his power that's immeasurable? He prays that we know. He prays that the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. You see, there is knowing and there is really knowing. We all know that our parents love us. But when at the end of last year we were sick and my parents packed up our house so we can move it to, and, and moved it all down to Canberra, we really knew that they loved us. There is knowing and there is really knowing. And this love our parents showed for us is nothing next to God's love for us. The power in saving us is the same power that raised Jesus, not just to earth, but far above every rule and authority and dominion in this age and the one to come. And so really, the implication right now is actually quite straightforward. It's actually that we should pray, giving thanks. Let's ask that we know more and more his amazing plans and purposes such that the plans for my life are no longer about me, but are actually for him, the one who loves Jesus so much that all things will be under him, including you and me, to the praise of his glory. How about we pray those things? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your plans are fully realized in Jesus. Thank you that you will bring all things in submission to him and that those things are certain in life. And so we pray that we will align our plans with your plans, that we would know more and more the love you have for your Son that overflows to us, and that we will bask in the love that you have, both for Jesus and for us, such that all things will be for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.